So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of, his bo- of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Okay. Well, about two and a half years ago, I felt in my heart a tension that God had something for us, something new for our family, that he was leading us in a direction, and I didn't know at all what it was. There's so many things God can do in so many ways he can lead you, but there was a great tension. And I remember praying with a lady at our church up in the prayer room, that prayer room upstairs. And we got on our knees and she prayed, Lord, would you reveal to Laurie what you had for them? And I remember we finished praying and she looked up and she said, he's going to show you. He's going to show you what he has for you. Um, around that same time, uh, a lady, I was in an email loop group kind of thing, and a lady that I didn't know very well put a picture of a seven-year-old boy in China that needed to be adopted. And at the time, that seemed so outlandish from where we were in our life. But uh, I, I read it and began to pray. And for the next month, it sort of nagged at my heart, this little boy in China. And I, after a month or so, I mentioned it to my husband, thinking he would say, what? Like, we weren't even talking about adoption. Um, but instead... He actually started crying and said, Laurie, you need to call about that. And we began to pray, and it actually became so impressed on his heart that from that moment on, he took the reins and led the whole thing and said, this is what God has for our family. And we began to pray over the next month so and ask lots of questions and learn how do you adopt? What does that mean? What does that look like? And, um, and sure enough, God confirmed step by step from his word through talking with people. He just confirmed that this is what the Lord had for our family. And Jenny, you can show this little picture. This is the um, picture that we saw of Alex and um, that we prayed over. The first picture we saw of him And we said, that's our son. That's to be our son. Now, in this picture, Alex is uh, just turned seven. This is his seventh birthday, actually. And, um, And I want you to think for a minute. In this picture, Alex is an orphan. He's only known ever being an orphan. And I want you to think for a minute about what that would be to be an orphan. What what you would think. Does anyone love me? Will I be taken care of? He'd been in several foster homes. Will will I be taken care of? Will I be provided for? Will I be protected? Is anyone going to look out for me? Will I be delighted in and cherished? I don't know what all went through his mind that day, but I can imagine some of the things that you might feel if you're an orphan. You feel those things tonight, or this morning, really. Will I be loved? Am I going to be provided and taken care of? Am I going to be cherished and delighted in? This um, I put in your 
little handout, and maybe you found it uh, to read this morning, some of the implications of being an orphan versus thinking like a child. If you're a Christian this morning, you can know you're a child of God. Um, But so often we can functionally think and live like orphans. Well, on October 15th of last year, so not this past October 15th, but the one before that, my husband and I went to China, and we stood in a government office in China, and we signed all these things and fingerprinted, and we said, effectually, we'll take care of him. We'll love him, not perfectly, but we'll provide for him. We'll protect him. We will love him and cherish him. We'll cheer at his soccer games. We'll pack his lunch boxes and put little notes and say, I love you. We'll teach him to read and discipline him in love to help him and train him. We'll put band-aids on his wounds. We'll tuck him in at bed at night, and we'll tell him, we will love you. We will take care of you. We will always be your father and mother. You are adopted. You're our child now. In Romans 8, Paul does something that he's already written the book of Galatians and told them this concept of adoption, but for the Romans, it's the first time it appears in our scriptures. He says something that is startling. You have been adopted. You've received a spirit of adoption. And it's in 8.15, you did not receive a spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. So Paul takes this word from our understanding, and you can click off the picture of Alex now. He takes this word from our understanding of adoption, and he begins to give it meaning to us. You've been adopted. You have been adopted by God. Now, Dan Kruver um, speaks a lot on adoption. He says this, Paul commandeered the word adoption from the world of law and intentionally filled it with meaning from the story of redemption. So he took this word that we know, that we can kind of understand, and he filled it with meaning of God's story of redemption to us. Now, to think about what this would mean, it's so helpful to think about that Roman church sitting there with this letter from Paul. We think that maybe they were... Uh, maybe five household gatherings in the early church in Rome. It's like 55, 57 AD. They're getting this letter from Paul and presumably passing it around and reading it. They're getting to this point in the letter where Paul makes this statement, you've received a spirit of adoption. You're sons of God. And you wonder, what did they think when they read that? So it's helpful to know a little bit about what would they have perceived adoption to be. Now, if you were a Roman, because the church at that time was made up of Roman Christians, culturally, Gentiles, and Jewish Christians, the early church. Now, if you were a Roman, you would have understood adoption because it was very well legal established practice in that time. You would have understood adoption as a means of legally passing down your inheritance. So let's say there's this wealthy Roman man who has position and power and a name, and he wants a way to take his inheritance and pass it down to someone who's not necessarily his son already. Maybe he doesn't have a son, or maybe he doesn't like his son, and he wants to choose someone of his own choosing to extend his inheritance to. Um, So that's how a Roman would have thought of of adoption. And it was a very common practice. In fact, they didn't usually even adopt children like we think of it. They often would adopt a teenager or an adult to extend their inheritance to. It wasn't so much in the Roman culture a mercy practice because the Romans weren't really known for mercy. They wouldn't have thought that way. It was more of a legal means. 
Now, if you were a Jewish person sitting there reading the letter and you were thinking about adoption, we don't know a lot about the Jewish culture if they adopted children, what that would have meant. There's not a lot of examples of that. But we do know if you were a Jew and you knew the scriptures that you had a great picture in your mind of the concept of the family of God of the fatherhood of God. They had a strong view of the blessing of being the family of God. We are God's children. A Jewish person would have understood that, and they would have had pictures in their mind of the mercy of God to bring in outsiders into his family, and what a tremendous blessing that was. We think of Ruth and Rahab, and I love that picture of Moab. I was thinking of that. Well, that's God. He takes outsiders in a desolate place. I don't know if this on, Jenny? He takes outsiders in a desolate place like that, and he brings them in mercy into his family. And they would have understood that. They would have had a picture of that. And then if you were the early church, you would have had an understanding of mercy, certainly from your understanding of Christ, from the pictures of Christ. Jesus loved the outcast. He loved the disenfranchised. So the early church certainly had a view of mercy, of reaching out. In fact, there's stories of the early church in Rome would take the Roman would throw out the outcast, the lame, the crippled. They would be outside the city, and the early church would find these people and care for them. And we know their admonitions to remember the poor, to care for the orphan and the widow. So certainly the early church would have been thinking that way. But if you think about what they're reading when they get to this word adoption, that there's all these thoughts in your mind about what it means to be adopted. And for the first time, that Roman church hears Paul use that word about them. And this morning, we want to think to ourselves, what does it mean that we are adopted, that we're sons of God? Now, understanding horizontal adoption helps us understand that. And we'll talk more about this tonight, how God is so good, and he's so good to give us pictures to help us understand who he is, right? Like even the fairy tale pictures, like our best fairy tale here are really just a shadow of the ultimate story, right? The ultimate story of Jesus loves his bride. So our fairy tales help us understand what's really even a better story than that. In the same way, our little narratives, my little narrative with Alex coming into our family, is just a little picture that's helping me understand a much bigger picture of God's redemptive story, God's big narrative for mankind and what he's doing. And God, so he's helping me understand himself through this. And I remember I had this dialogue with God. We were in the process of doing the paperwork, and I had this dialogue. I said, but God, what? I mean, what if he rejects us? And I felt God saying in my heart, my people rejected me. I said, well, what? I mean, what if he is messy and hard with issues? And I felt God say in my spirit, Laurie, you are messy and hard with issues. I said, well what, well, what if he complains? I mean, what if he complains and he isn't even grateful for all that we've done for him? And I felt God say, Laurie, you complain and you aren't properly grateful for all that I've done for you. That's mercy. That's mercy. That's what mercy is. That's who I am. Now, Dan Kruver, again, he said this. His, I think it's in your notes. His love for me is eternally determined, personally accomplished, and irrevocably certain. I cherish adoption as a doctrine because it reveals the unfathomable. God actually cherishes us, his children. 
Paul's going to use the word adoption five times in Scripture. And those Scriptures are listed, I think, in your quiet time notes, maybe on your handout. And you'll see as you read the examples of adoption that it was determined before time began, his purposes for, to adopt us. It was purposed all along in God's heart, not just to justify us, not just to legally clear us, but to cherish us as his children, to bring us in to his family, to love us and take care of us. Now, in this text in Romans 8, now I said there's that handout in your thing that gives all these implications of what it means to be a child. It's so good to read. Like, wow, all these blessings of what it means to be a child, to think like a child. But if we stay in Romans 8, we're going to look at three implications this morning that are explicit in this. There's actually a fourth that we'll mention tonight. The first one is this. Children of God put to death the deeds of the flesh. We talked about that last night. If you're a child of God, if you're led by the Spirit in faith to the fatherhood of God, to the finished work of Christ, we put to death the deeds of the flesh. That's part of being a child of God, of being led by the Spirit. Point number two is this. Children of God have not received a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. We aren't ruled by fear anymore. Now, I told you, okay, so I said last night, I got that Rosemary Miller quote, I'm a recovering Pharisee. I am. I'm a recovering Pharisee. Well, I'll tell you this morning, I'm a recovering fearer, okay? I am prone to fear. Does anyone identify with that? Do you identify? My knee jerk is to freak out, you know, is to panic. Knee jerk is to fear. And God is taking me out of that into the heart of God Say, I'm your father, you're my child. You are not in bondage to fear anymore. You do not have a spirit of slavery to fear. Now, this helps me. I, uh, someone told me one time, I would grapple with decision-making, and a lot of that was born out of fear. People that struggle with fear struggle to make decisions because you're so frightened about what the outcome may be. Someone uh, made this analogy one time. It so helped me that it's our life. It's like a human maze. Have you ever been in one of those? Or cornfield, I mean, right? Human maze. You're in one of these human mazes. And you're in the middle of it, and you have no idea how to get out. And if you're a fearing person, this is what I would do, you just sit down in the middle and go, ah, I don't know how to get out of the maze. Okay, that's what you do when you fear. You just sit down. I don't know where to go. I'm just going to sit down and cry. That's our heart when we're paralyzed by fear. It's, I can't go anywhere. There's nothing I can do. But I believe the child of God is not in bondage of slavery to fear. We trust the fatherhood of God. So you just get up and you start walking. And that has helped me so much in my life. It's, I'm not afraid to hit a wall. Because if I hit a wall, God loves me. God's taking care of me in his sovereignty. He's going to turn me around. He's leading me through this. I'm not afraid of the walls. I'm not afraid of messing up. I trust the fatherhood of God. I have a father that cherishes me. I'm not in bondage and slavery to fear. I can walk. I can move. I can tell y'all, when we were in the process of adoption, I was frightened. And I had nights where I would wake up and say, oh, Lord, is this, is this right? Is this good for us to do? But God just continued to say, Lord, just put one foot in front of the other and trust me. Just trust me. And I can tell you, Alex, it's been such a blessing to our family, such a blessing. And I'm so thankful. Have you ever thought to yourself, wow, what if I hadn't done that out of fear? I can think of so many things in my life. Oh, Lord, thank you for walking me through my fear in this. I can't imagine if I had, I could have chosen to miss that. And I'm so thankful that God walked me through my fear. But I literally walked to the airport to China 
putting one foot in front of the other, just saying scripture. Because I could have just sat down and said, oh, I can't go, okay. I walked there and said, I believe I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I believe that when my heart is overwhelmed within me, you will lead me to a rock that is higher than me. I believe that, you know, you work all things together for good in my life. And I just literally, okay, okay, we're going to keep breathing and we're going to keep walking because the Spirit's leading me in faith. And um, I'm so thankful for that. And that's just the good news this morning is that um, we can walk through the fear because we're not in bondage to fear. We're, ch- we're children of God. Now, you know, we can fear a lot of things. We can fear discomfort and pain, calamity happening. But you know, another thing we can fear, ooh, I think as women, is we can fear shame. I'm going to disappoint someone. I'm going to blow it. I'm so scared to do this. I'm so scared that I'm going to, bring shame to myself that I'm going to disappoint. And um, I want to show you a picture that has really helped me in this idea. Now, if you thought for a minute, okay, just think for a minute, where in all the places in the world you might be prone to feel intimidated, okay? If you went to this place, you may feel like you need to have your A game on. For me, one of those places, maybe there's lots, but one of those places might be the Oval Office, okay? You're called into the Oval Office, for a meeting with the president. And when you see pictures of people in the Oval Office, they've got their suit on, they got their words ready, and they've got their A-game on. And it's a place where you might be prone to feel nervous. But show you this picture. This is a picture of JFK with his son, JFK Jr. Now, this desk is called the Resolute Desk. It was given by Queen Victoria in like 1880, I think. And nearly every president has used it since. So this is big deal desk, all right? And you see this little kid down here, the son of the father, and you're like, he's messing with the desk. Like, what's he doing? He's messing with the door. He's going to mess up things there. You know, we think like God looks at us like, would you just sit still and behave? Like he's going to blow things in there. But the heart of the father to us is that of a child of his father. He delights in having his son with him. Do you feel that relationship with the father this morning? That God's not going, just close the door, this important desk. That's not how God's relating to you. He cherishes you as his child because of Jesus. The work was finished in Jesus, and he delights in you. And we can walk in such freedom and comfort that God delights in his children. That's how he's chosen to do it. Thanks to Jesus. Thank you. I am. Um, let's see. Oh, as I was thinking about fear and this idea of fear, and we're in the process of adoption. Here's a little poem from my journal of just God just saying, Laurie, trust me. Laurie, trust me. Wait, child, oh, wait on me. Still you thoughts, still and breathe. Deeply breathe and quiet mind. Settle thoughts and trusting kind. A good and shepherd steadies, step, uh, shepherd steadies me. Settle, child, oh, rest and see. Shh, the mind's so quick to rush ahead and rob the heart of trust. Quiet, oh, just wait, just wait. The father, smiling, seeing, takes his time, created time to make a faithful heart from hearts that quake with fear and doubt and trembling. Yes, just show me, show me all the rest. No, quiet, child, quiet rest. Resting spirit, resting lest you miss the rest and work I do in hearts that wait until I'm through. God says, Lord, I've thought about how when my child's just crying and upset and I hold them and what do we do? We go, shh, kind of shh, shh. And I felt the Lord doing that with my heart. Like, shh, shh, calm down. 
quiet. Rest. Wait until I'm through. Trust me. I'm your father. I'm your father. What would you do if you weren't afraid? Do you think about that this morning? What would you do if you trusted God? If you trusted your father loves you? If you knew, I'm not in bondage to fear. I have a spirit of sonship by which we can cry out, Abba, Father, Daddy, Father, He delights in you. Hmm. The third implication is this. Children of God are heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. Now, just, just fathom this for a minute. Just fathom this. We said that a Roman would understand adoption as a legal process by which a wealthy landover, a wealthy man, could just give his inheritance to someone who otherwise had no right to it. We're going to talk more tonight about our inheritance in heaven, what God has done. God has, in his grace, he owns a cattle on a thousand hills, and he has given it to us for no merit of our own. We did nothing to deserve that. And he's chosen in his grace to give us his inheritance. Wow, that's amazing to me. To my, to, amazing to me. Now, we're going to look at a story. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to 2 Samuel chapter 9. And I'll give you a second to turn there. This account gives us a little picture of God giving his inheritance. And really a picture of mercy. It's the story, if you know the story, it's the story of King David and Mephibosheth. Now, in the story, okay, now you remember King David, right? King David was anointed to be the king of Israel, but at that time, Saul was still on the throne. And as Saul begins to realize who David is, he begins to attack him and run out. David is on the run and at battle with the armies of Saul. Now, eventually, David wins. David's placed on the throne, and Saul is dead. Jonathan's dead. And if you remember that, David and Jonathan were dear friends, and David loved Jonathan. But Jonathan's dead, Saul is dead, and David is on the throne. Now, when a new regime takes over the throne, they, don't, they aren't kind to the old regime, okay? They wipe out the old regime. That was the enemy regime. That was the regime that chased after them. That was the enemy regime to them. But David is on the throne, and he remembers Jonathan, and he says, is there anyone left in the house of Saul that I can show kindness to for Jonathan's sake, purely for Jonathan's sake? And he learns that there is a servant, or not a servant, well, there's a servant named Ziba, but Ziba tells him there is a grandson of Saul, Jonathan's son, named Mephibosheth. And David says, bring him to me. But Ziba says, but he's lame in both of his feet. He's crippled. So Mephibosheth comes before David, and presumably is frightened because David, one of the first things he says is fear not. And when Mephibosheth sees him, he falls on his face before him. So picture this frightened, crippled man coming before the king, knowing he's from the enemy regime. This is he's Saul's family. He comes before David and he's frightened. He even says later, a dead dog such as I. Imagine how he's thought of himself in his life. I'm nothing. I've got nothing. I'm from the enemy camp, and I'm crippled. Who am I? And David says, fear not, Mephibosheth. I will surely show you kindness. And he goes on to, he says, for Jonathan's sake, 
I will restore the land to your family. And you, Mephibosheth, you will eat at my table continually. You're going to eat at my table now. You will be provided for. And he says, you will eat at my table like one of the king's sons. <gasps> Mephibosheth says, me? A dead dog such as me? To be shown this favor, to be shown this kindness, to be brought into your family like one of your sons and provided for and taken care of and loved. Amazing mercy. That's a picture of how God loves us. Who am I? A dead dog such as me? The Bible says that uh, when we were yet enemies, Christ died for us. You know, we think of adoption. How many times have you looked? I've done this. We, you look at pictures of orphans, and you, you look at the cute ones. You say, oh, she's so cute. You know, we do, I just want to take her home with me. And we think like that. We look for the cute ones. We think, oh, I bet they'll be cute. God didn't look for the cute orphan. We weren't actually the cute orphans. We were the enemy camp. We were the broken, messy ones that God brought in for Jesus' sake and showed kindness to. Jesus bought us that, not us. And he just gives us his inheritance. Incredible, incredible mercy. John Piper actually said a quote. He said, we were not the cute little orphans that God was attracted to. We were enemies in rebellion against God. As we were at the end of our time in China, we had to go through, this was, I guess, a little over a year ago. We had to go through, there's a two-week period that we were there, and we went through this medical clinic at the end that everybody that was adopting from China at that time kind of funneled through this one medical clinic where the kids would get checked out to make sure they didn't have tuberculosis and stuff so that they could get a visa back to America. So all the kids being adopted in China funneled through this one little medical clinic in order to get a visa to get into America. Well, we walked in there, my husband and Luke and myself and Alex, we walked in there and we had to go through just throngs of Chinese people uh, in these large buildings to come into this American medical clinic. We opened the door, got in there, and what we saw just blew me away. My husband and I still talk about that. So we walked in there and we saw all these Westerners holding Chinese children to adopt them. And these kids were broken. Right now in China, the, the main thing is to go through a special needs adoption. So all of these kids, they were missing arms. They were missing ears and legs. They were blind. Some of them were walking crippled. And these parents are holding them. And they're saying, I'm your mother now. I'm your father now. I will take care of you. I will love you. I will provide for you and protect you. You're adopted for Jesus' sake. For Jesus' sake. That's what we did. We weren't the cute orphans. We weren't the ones that had it together. We were the messy ones, and God adopted us. I worked for years as an occupational therapist with kids with special needs, and I love that. And I, um, in the process of that, just got to know so many children with special needs. And so I wrote this little poem just thinking about God and children with special needs. Listen. His body's clumsy, often weak. His mind is dull. He'll seldom speak. He's awkward, and he'll never know that when he talks, it's much too slow. He'll push too hard or scream too loud. He'll hide and tremble in a crowd. He'll trip and fall on simple tasks. 
and he may never think to ask why God would let a boy here live with broken eyes and tears. How could one who never read bring glory to the holy seed whose children here will bear his name? Could glory through him be the same as one who will lead a hundred men and properly repent of sin? But here the mercy of the Lord is cause to wonder and adore that God does meet with broken minds. Though crouched and rocking, he can find a boy who may never know the proper song of thanks to show to God who counts his every hair. He'll never verbalize a prayer. But God of mystery in his ways, all glory, honor, thanks, and praise that Christ did find this little girl who was too proud and loved the world. So make your glory manifest. Let not the strong be truly blessed. May paradox display your face and broken children know your grace. I want you to take heart this morning that you were the broken child. You were the messy one. God didn't adopt you because you had it together. He adopted you because of his son, Jesus. And he chose in his grace to have mercy on you. He chose in his grace to say, you don't have to fear anymore. I'll take care of you. And my inheritance, my cattle on a thousand hills is yours. And he gave that to us. Oh, I pray. Let's talk about that today. Let's remember his mercy. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, we're so thankful that we can call out Abba, Father, that we can call you Daddy, that we can rest in that. Lord, we thank you for your provision for us. We thank you for your grace to us. Would you give us a day today where we remember and see the wonders of Jesus in your name? Amen.